Praise God, dear brothers and dear sisters. Um, it's good to be here. It's good to see everyone here. We're kind of we're doing a good job filling up these these pews. So thank you for coming today. Uh, we do um, we do uh, love to see you here. Uh, I wanted to talk to you about um, something that we usually talk about in the beginning of the year, and that's resolutions. I don't know why, but uh, I felt like talking to you at the end of summer. Usually our resolutions, if you think about them, are set for summer. Usually they have to do with going to the gym or like running a thousand miles or biking this much or working out or I don't know, you know, like bulking, gaining weight or losing weight, um, going to school, right, and doing well in school. Well, all of that is um, kind of coming to a finish um, school year, new school year has started, and we still have four months or three months to think about how well did your resolutions go. Now, I'm not just going to talk about random resolutions, uh, but I wanted to talk today uh, about the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards. Does anyone know who Jonathan Edwards was? Yeah, he was a, a man who lived a long time ago, and um, he made 70 resolutions. Now, he's remembered for being uh, many things. I just want to go over his, his kind of uh, life with you. Wrote 26 books or major works, and these were like popular, New York Times bestsellers uh, of his time. He pastored a church in New York at the age of 18 years of age, uh, 18 years. He graduated from Yale. Uh, you have to make a caveat. There's only like five universities at that time, and Yale, you happen to, it was like Yale, Princeton, Harvard. He was the third president of Princeton, uh, the Princeton University that we know today. Um, and he, although for a short time, but he uh, was widely considered the most influential preacher of the Great Awakening. And that's a big deal. So all these things are pretty big deals. Like if you write 26 books in your lifetime, you, you know, you probably had something to share with other people. I recommend, by the way, everyone here should write at least one book, right? At least, not, even if it doesn't sell, to your children, just pass it along. Like what's your, your history, everything you could remember from your grandparents, because I'm seeing that's an issue um, that I had. Like I don't, like we had an uncle who kind of did a lot of work of our family's history, but it's still murky. And I, I just wished for someone to write a book, you know, 100 years ago, and then maybe I could read it. But he wrote 26 books. Uh, he pastored a church at 18 years of age. Can everyone who is above 18 years uh, of age raise their hands? That's a lot of us. And those of you who are not, you guys are like right there. You guys are like 15, 16, 17. He was a young man and doing big things. I find it kind of interesting that at that age, he was already a pastor. He graduated from Yale. He was the third president of Princeton. Now, that was a big deal. There was like a couple of universities in America. There was only 13 states. America was still a colony of Great Britain. And he was the president of uh, an Ivy League institution. And then the most important thing, and the thing that I wanted to talk to you about today, is he is considered the most influential preacher of the Great Awakening. What was the Great Awakening? The Great Awakening happened um, in like uh, 17, I think 20 or 1740. Um, and in, in this awakening, it was a spiritual awakening uh, where people begin 
to, uh, began to go back to church. People began to like seek God genuinely. And you have to realize that this was way back, like hundreds of years ago, where people were already baseline more Christian. This was like people becoming really, really Christian. Like things were closing down. The Baptist and Methodist uh, denominations exploded in growth. That's where they really kind of started uh, to become prominent denominations. And they're huge to this day, especially the Baptists. Um, the, their uh, missionary societies were formed. People started sending out missions to like other countries, to the Native Americans. Thousands of people joined churches. And Jonathan Edwards during this great awakening where people were waking up to the fact that God is real, God loves them, and he's also going to judge them on the last day, preached the sermon called Sinner in the Hands of an Angry God. I recommend that you read this sermon. It literally is one of the most famous sermons of all time. Like, I, I know some of you guys don't even know, like, where you heard those words, sinners in the hands of an angry God, but it's that sermon. Like, people somewhere talked about it, and you, you overheard it. This is, it's a huge sermon, and literally what he would do is he would just read off, like, word for word, the sermon and people would like freak out, repent. There was like, it's a very interesting, it's, I'm not gonna get into details of what was happening during the Great Awakening, but I just wanna say that there was no such thing as Pentecostal, uh, Pentecostals during that time, and uh, there was just Baptists, Methodists, you know, preachers who like to like do everything orderly, and he was just reading off this thing, and things were happening that we don't see happening in the most kind of fiery Pentecostal churches, not because someone told them to, but because God was genuinely present, genuinely moving, and this became a historical event. Like, people will teach about this in history classes. Um, so, this is a couple of pictures, very dark, I'm sorry, about that um, Great Awakening. People would gather everywhere, anywhere, where they could find space in forests. They would set up these tents, and people would flock to hear the Word of God. But this man, Jonathan Edwards, who was kind of the spearhead of this revival in America, um, he didn't... Um, I, I just want to put this correctly because uh, God uses people, different people, at different times, and it's his choice. Just today, I was reading about David, and I was not preparing for the, even the sermon just for myself. I was like, I want to read about David. And reading David, I was trying to find the place where David did something special before God chose him. All right, and I was like, I was reading it, and I was just like looking at his words, like the first chapters. I think Second uh, Samuel chapter 16 is the first time we hear about, you know, the family of Jesse and David there. And you hear Samuel coming there to anoint his, you know, one of the brothers, and none of the brothers are worthy. And then David is the one who's chosen. And I'm trying to read. I'm like, maybe he'll say something later on in his life. They're like, well, I did this when I was younger. And I literally could not find anything. If you guys find something that... Um, kind of helps me prove this point because I would like to prove this point to myself that David somehow did something in his life so that God would be like, I like you, man. I really like you. Um, and I'm sure there was something. I'm sure there was. Maybe it's not written in the Bible, but the Bible story puts it that God came and he, he chose David. He chose David for a special ministry, just like he chose every one of us for this special place in his family, in the family of Jesus Christ. God chooses us. God chose me and God chose you. But there was something about this man, Jonathan Edwards, that literally sets him apart. Like you don't become a pastor of a church when you're 18, when you're just like, 
you know, playing in the playground and, you know, hitting up the, you know, gym. And that's kind of what your life revolves around. You, you go from playground to the gym. That's what we do as 18-year-olds. That's what I did. That's what we did, right? That's, but there's, like, something is weird with this guy. You don't become the president of, uh, of, of Princeton if you're just, like, you know, slacking. There, you don't become the major preacher of the first revival in America if you're just... Uh, slacking. There's something that he did, and uh, one of the things that I found in Jonathan Edwards' life that really surprised me was his 70 resolutions. Jonathan Edwards, when he was a young man, and I can't tell you the exact age, but I'm saying young, like 17, 16 years of age, he made these resolutions. What is a resolution? It's a firm decision. By the way, that's wrong. Resolved um, is not a noun. Uh, I, I, that's, that's my mistake in my, uh, in my uh, as I was preparing the, the, the slide, I didn't change that. So for any of you grammar uh, people, Nazis, please don't <laughs> execute me. I understand that. Um, so uh, uh, resolution, though, is what I wanted to put there, is a noun. And a resolution says the following. A resolution is a firm decision to do or not to do something. And that's kind of what we do. And if you think about it, uh, when we begin the year, sometimes or a lot of times we say, I have this New Year's resolution. From now on, I will blank. Well, um, that's what Jonathan Edwards did. I can't say he was the first one to do it. But he did it in a different way. He had a twist to it. He made 70 resolutions, as I said, again, as a young person, and he reread them every single week. And in these resolutions, they were like 100% focused on him using his life to the glory of God, of him using his life to the benefit of other people as much as he possibly could. And we'll just go, we won't go over 70. I won't, you know, do that to you guys, but we'll go over like five. And you'll see, you guys could read the others, uh, you know, by yourself, what this young's man, young man's resolutions did to him. Like, they, these were pretty, like, solid things. Resolution number 61. It was a resolution on laziness, of all things. Like, this young gentleman, he understood, like, I'm a lazy person. I understand I am lazy. We, as humans, we tend to be lazy. Like, there's very little people, and I know, like, one or two that I'm like, you're not lazy. Like, I could give you that. But most of us, we just have this tendency to not be willing to actively work. He says, resolved, that I will not give way to that listlessness which I find unbends and relaxes my mind from being fully and fixedly set on religion. Um, whatever excuse I may have for it, that what my listlessness inclines me to do is the best to be done, etc. So what, is, what does he say here? Basically, Jonathan Edwards says, as a 16-year-old, he says, I'm a lazy person. Listlessness is like another way of saying not doing anything. He says, and from this day, in Resolution 61, he says, resolved, I make a decision that I will not give way, we'll just call it, to laziness, which, fi which I find unbends and relaxes my mind from being fully and fixedly set on religion, on religion. 
And by religion, we mean Christianity. That was like that term that was used for reading your Bible, for prayer, for having intimacy with Jesus. Whatever excuse I may have for it, that whatever my laziness inclines me to do is best to be done. He says, like, my laziness gives me pretty good excuses. Like, hey, you, you worked super hard. Now it's time to rest. He says, none of that. None of that. Resolution 61, I will not be lazy. Now, why are we talking about laziness in the midst of all this? Why are we talking about uh, such, such uh, I would say, boring things. Well, because I believe these things that we'll talk about, including, including laziness, are paramount to the, in their importance for you and I to be strong Christians. If we want to be strong Christians, and we need to be strong Christians in this time, these are some of the things that we have to understand. I want to read to you a place in Scripture. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, 45. And I will give credit to Alex Labadianik. First time I heard, maybe like five years ago, he talked about this in one of our prayers. And I couldn't look at this verse in any other way. Listen to this. When an, this is a weird kind of way to put it. But when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And that last state of that man becomes worse than the first. That is the way it will also be with this evil generation. Now, we could talk about possession and, you know, physically being possessed by something. But uh, there, this, the, the, the moral, I believe, and one of the teachings of this story is this. When a person is demon-possessed or when a person is oppressed, or let's say in our case, when a person is living in sin, when a person is in bondage of some sort and God sets them free, God does it in a way that cleans that person up once and for all. Like when God forgives you, I promise you, you are forgiven. When God washes you by your blood, you are washed by his blood. There's, there's no room for conviction. There's, I mean, condemnation. Conviction by the Holy Spirit is what we need in our lives. But condemnation from Satan has no room. That's what Paul talks about. God makes us clean in his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So a person who has lived in sin and now is in Christ, in the church, among believers, right? He is a new creation, but here's the interesting thing. God says this person uh, has these things that walked away from him, these sins still lurking around him. And whatever your weakness was, whatever it is that you were falling into sin with, those things can still haunt you. And what I mean by haunt, those are still your weaknesses. You guys get what I'm saying? Those things could still be your weaknesses. And Satan will attack us where, where we are strongest. No, when we, where we are weakest. To someone, it could be uh, immorality. To someone, it could be pride. To someone, it could be materialistic things. And whatever it is, Satan will attack that way in order for our faith to be shaken. And what the Bible says is that when a, a demon comes back and finds this house, and we are taught in the scriptures that we are a house, it finds this house unoccupied, swept, and put in order. You know what he does? He goes and, and grabs his friends, and he makes sure that it becomes occupied. 
Do you guys get what I'm saying? So unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Swept and put in order, those are good things. But unoccupied, that's, that's fishy. Why is it unoccupied? Why is it not filled with good works? Why is, it, why, is this, why, is my, why is this person's, hypothetical person's life not filled with uh, actions that spread the love of Jesus towards other people? And so, a person's laziness, a person who is saved, me who is saved, who is washed by the blood of Jesus, forgiven once and for all, amen to that. But my laziness... And Jonathan Edwards understood this. He says it bends, it relaxes the mind, and it messes up or messes with my intimacy with Jesus, with my religion. It makes me, when, I don't, when I'm not doing things, and yeah, I, in, in this case, I'm talking even about working. Like we can't, as believers, we can't just say, I am a Christian, I, you know, I read the Bible, I pray, and that's all what I do. Okay, do you go to school? Do you work? What do you do with, you know, the other eight hours of the day? Like, okay, you could read the Bible for two hours. You could pray for, for, for two hours. And let's just say you could do that for every single day. Let's just say. So you're doing that. What happens with the other eight hours? You, we got to be at work. We got we to gotta go to school. We cannot, especially as young people. And he did this when he was like 16 or 17. We cannot allow that time, those eight hours, those nine hours, 10 hours to just be listless or just be a, 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 a playground for our laziness to do whatever we feel like relaxes us at that time because those are the scariest and more, most dangerous places to be in those times of relaxation when we're just like, you know, I can do what I want. I, I had my, my devotion time with Jesus. I helped out with chores, and now I have six hours. Don't do that to yourself. Please, let's not do that to ourselves. And the reason I say this is because this year will be totally different when it comes to school, and we know that. We know that this year we'll have access to uh, computers will have access, and we already do, but more than before. Like, not just access. We will have to sit behind a computer for hours to do school, to do Zoom meetings. And really, there's going to be times where no one is going to be able to, to look behind our shoulders and check where we are. Are we actually doing schoolwork for the six hours or are we doing something else? Those times where we are not actually doing schooling, not actually working, and we are just like, well, I can rest now. Those are the most dangerous times. And here's what the Spirit of Jesus says. The Spirit of Jesus says, I have washed you, I've cleansed you, I've made you whole and new stand in that freedom. Stand in it. Guard yourself, especially in these times where you feel like you want to relax, where you feel like you want to walk away and just, just kind of forget about everything that's going on and just rest. Those times could be the most dangerous. I want to share with you something intimate from my life. I remember, and I'm not into like, you know, hearing voices, but there was a time where I literally heard, and now I can say that was a, a, a word from Satan. I know where it happened. I know the kind of the time of the day where it happened. And it was like an arrow. Now I look at it as an arrow that shot through my mind. Uh, I, I, was, I was hustling. I was working, I, you know, school and ministry, school and ministry. And it was, I was getting to the point where it was like unhealthy in, in an unhealthy way. Now there's one thing where you do it unhealthy. And then there's another thing where you're just lazy about it. And those are both bad extremes. There's a good middle and I encourage you to find it. But as I was in, the, in that time of kind of like stressed, whatever, I thought I was stressed, I'm walking and I hear a thought. 
Andre, you, you worked hard. I, I don't know exactly the, the, the thought that came, but it was like, you need a rest. And I was like, yeah, I need a rest. I need to relax. I need to, I need to tone things down a little bit. And by, by relax, right, we mean relax, just like plug out. And that relaxation, it kind of took me a little detour in my Christianity. A detour that I could have avoided and a detour that I hope that we avoid. A detour where I had to kind of like repeat some things, learn some lessons, the same lessons that I've already been learning and I thought I passed. And I almost had to restart. I might have lost a couple of months. That is something that is, that is dangerous. Now, I'm not talking against, you know, going out with vacation uh, and vacationing with your family and resting with your friends and going out to restaurants. I'm not telling you to stop going to the gym or, you know, like doing your morning runs. Like, please, by all means, do that with good godly uh, believers, friends. But, but, I'm talking about this uh, laziness that sometimes come upon us and, upon us, and that laziness, Jonathan Edwards said, was something that really he saw, he saw it messed. He says, I find it and bends and relaxes my mind, and I'm not able to fully uh, be fixed in my religion. And I believe that is what helped him be a successful minister, a successful, um, I would say, intellectual, someone who was successful in school, was successful in ministry, and left a huge legacy for us, for us to follow. Uh, resolution number two. Number 30, but number two in our case. Resolved to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. Now, this is very interesting. Uh, this says, I am sure, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I just don't have it there. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I am sure, I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So, Jonathan Edwards says that every single week he will strive or try to be closer to God, in his words, be brought higher in religion, and uh, he says, and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. I'd like us to think to ourselves. Let's take last year, for example. Are we closer to God this year than we were last year? Let's not, let's not even do, because weeks, I, I think those are, that's like for professionals, like Jonathan Edwards, and we'll get there. But let's do, let's do a year. Are we closer or are we further away from God? Because if you think about it, even if we're the same, even if, we, if I am the same like I was last year, in Jonathan Edwards' um, resolutions, that is already not meeting resolution number 30. Resolution number 30 is like, I'm going to be better next week than I was this week in my intimacy with Jesus. I'm going to exercise grace in a better fashion. I'm going to get closer to God every single week. And unfortunately, I look at my life and I understand that um, I can't say that about myself whatsoever. Sometimes it looks like a, like a jigsaw thing. 
You know what I mean? My closeness, my intimacy with God, one week up, one week down, one month up, one month down. And you have to understand, like, where is this spiritual growth that we're talking about? Where is this consistency in growing with God? Because that's not how, like, trees grow. That's not how, like, anything grows, really. Not how little babies grow or kittens grow or anything. They don't grow with, like, like up and then down and then, and then left and then right. Like, they just grow normally. Like, things are supposed to grow. Trees grow normally. Like, you know, um, year by year, plants grow, like, month by month. Grass grows literally day by day, but they grow consistently. And this brings me to this verse in Philippians where uh, Paul says, I am sure of this. Paul wants to assure you and assure me of this one thing, that God has this spiritual growth under control. Like, we shouldn't be freaking out that, like, I'm not squeezing out enough juice for God or, like, making enough, enough, enough fruits. I'm, I'm really slacking. Like, I I think that is not a right mentality to have, and it's, and it's something that I struggle with, but something that I believe isn't healthy for a believer. It is healthy, though, to be in intimacy with God. It is healthy, though, to continually grow in the grace of God. And as we grow in the grace of God, naturally, naturally, these things happen. As we continually spend time with God, naturally, we just experience weird growths. We're like, oh, I didn't know this existed. I didn't know God works this way. I didn't know this meant this in the Bible. I didn't know God speaks or uses me in that way. And all these things happen naturally. All these things happen in the most normal Christian manner, which is how they are supposed to happen. But Philippians talks about uh, that God, who began the good work in us, will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. Meaning God is at work in us, and we are actually, I believe, in like a school of some sorts, of God. And I know you don't want to hear about school, but we are in a school right now. Like there's no summer breaks in God's school. There's really no like spring breaks. And it is not as, as horrible as sometimes school feels for us. It is actually a very enjoyable thing to be in God's school. It is, a, it is more Ivy League than Ivy League institutions. Like if you're in God's school, you should be the happiest person on earth. Because God has personally decided to bring you in as a student and to make sure that you grow into this perfect and mature believer. Listen, perfect and mature believer. Because yeah, we're going to be perfect and mature, glorified bodies in uh, heaven. That is literally our graduation. That is literally our goal in life. And so um, you, lucky you, lucky me, have been called into this school. By the blood of Jesus Christ, we have been given entrance into this school. And there's a couple of things in this school. First of all, there are exams, like in any school. Any normal school will have exams. And if you go to a school that doesn't have exams, it's probably not normal. It's probably like that, uh, that um, evergreen, tell me about it. What is it? Yes, evergreen college. You guys know about that? Yeah. And so when there's no exams, you're like, okay, something's fishy here. Something's fishy because um, that's probably not a school. It's probably a scam. If you're going to an online institution and there's like no exams or like nothing to really get grades from, it might be a scam. Like run away from that. But in every normal institution, there are exams. And so there are in God's. And what are exams? Exams are things in our life where God, kind of as we are growing, he just kind of tests us. He makes sure that we're growing uh, accordingly, right? That like we're not falling behind 
our peers. And it's important to be ready for those exams always. It's important. What do I mean by that? Do you guys know what I'm talking about when I'm talking about exams in the Christian walk? Do you, you guys know what I'm talking about? Exams are like things when something happens in your life and it's kind of difficult, right? Exams are pretty difficult. It's kind of difficult. And you're like, I'm not liking how this feels at all. Usually that is something that God wants us to work on. Whether it be patience or love or uh, maybe consistency in something, obedience, things that we need to uh, do uh, for our parents, for other siblings. And uh, God's school has that. Also, God's school requires consistency, and um, consistency beats talent 100% of the time. Um, Also, the end goal of God's school is graduation, which is heaven, and God uh, recommends in his word that in his school you surround yourself with other smart students, like you do in any normal school, right? Like when you come to class, when you come to college, I recommend that you find the best students. They're usually sitting up front, so that means you have to come a little earlier to college class and get, get yourself a seat up front, exchange phone numbers with people who are sitting up front, and do those classes together, especially if they're difficult. You guys know what I'm saying? It's easier to go through school like that, is it not? It's easier to go to school with a smart friend um, and who can help you and you can help them versus, you know, uh, if you're just on your own or if, or if, if you're the smart one, good for you. God is um, proud of you, and you can help others. Um, And then also, number five, this spiritual growth that Jonathan Edwards talks about, the spiritual growth that Apostle Paul talks about in Philippians, this is an enjoyable process. School can be enjoyable. Education is something that can be enjoyed, especially God's education. When you learn things in God's school and you've never, you've never seen something in the Bible and God teaches you, when you've never known how to act in a, cer- a certain situation and God teaches you, like, hey, when this happens and you always act this way and it makes everyone mad, just act that way. And you're like, yeah, I could do that by God's grace, by his spirit. Why don't I try that? And you begin to act that way and people around you are like, oh, that's, that's a smart way to go about things. And you're like, this feels much better. I'm not freaking out. Other people are not freaking out around me. It could be anything. It could be anything. But you guys know what I'm saying. Like if you're, if you, every time you lash out, when you're in a stressful situation and you lash out in a certain way, God's school teaches us not only about things of the spirit, but things that are also very practical. And so Jonathan's resolution is every single week I will grow and every single week I will test myself. Did I grow more in love of God? Did I grow more in religion, higher in the exercise of grace or not? And if he didn't, every week he would read this and he would repent. And we're not going to get into all the things that he did with these resolutions, but I just want to share one more. Resolution number 67. Resolved, this is resolutions about dealing with hard times. After afflictions, to inquire, what am I the better for them? What good I have got by them? And what I might have got, uh, and what I might have got by them if I had acted differently. So after every single hardship, imagine looking at every single hardship in your life, every single difficult circumstance, every single failure in life like this. If something bad happens in your life and you look at it and you say, what is God trying to teach me today? 
I find that extremely difficult. Every time that I'm finding myself in a difficult circumstance, usually my first prayer is like, Lord, mercy. This hurts, and, and it hurts pretty bad. Like, you need it, you need it, we need it, we need to stop here. He goes after the afflictions to inquire, what did I get by them? What good have I got by them? Uh, what am I better for them? And what I might have got by them if I had, he's, he means, if I had acted differently. If I did something differently, would I learn anything more? And here's what Hebrews 12, 5, 6 uh, talks about hard times. And he says, my son, this is those exams that we talked about in the school of God, growing in Christ, becoming, you know, this mature believer. There's exams, they're difficult, but God says in Hebrews 12, 5, 6, my son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are approved by him. So basically God has these two suggestions, and actually I would say they're commandments. This is how you deal, and this is how I try to deal with um, hardships, and especially testings, and when God punishes us in our Christian lives, because God does. God, God, he disciplines us. He, make, he wants to make sure that we're on the right path. Uh, doing these two things, first of all, don't regard lightly, and secondly, don't faint. It's pretty simple. Do you guys get that? So firstly, when God's punishing or God's teaching, when something's hard, there's a difficulty, don't regard it lightly. Don't just say, ah, I'll get over it. Or that was a weird coincidence. You know what I mean? Like that was just weird. Maybe that was God speaking to you. So let's, let's not regard it. And second thing, don't faint. When, when we're going through circumstances, sometimes it feels like this is the end, literally. Like, if I could make it pass through this, this would be, this would be heaven, and I'm not making it pass through this, so I guess I'm just going to die here. And it, it, this is like in, I'm talking about like in school where you're not going to die, or like at work, you're not going to die. Trust me, everything's going to be fine. You're, you're a healthy human being. You're, you're in America. You're, you're blessed beyond measure. Everything is going to be fine. So, and God says, especially when these testings happen, especially when you're going through hard times, make sure, to, it's, it's important to make sure to have this correct perspective, which is God is doing something in my life. So I'm not going to disregard it if this is God doing something in my life. I'm not just going to throw this away and, and pretend like nothing happened or pretend like it was a weird coincidence. And I'm also not going to literally faint. Like, I think Paul meant, or whoever wrote Hebrews meant it differently uh, when he, he didn't mean like actually pass out. But you guys get what I'm saying. When you're, when you're just like, I'm, I, can't, I can't move on. You can move on. You will move on. Sister and brother, by the grace of God, you will move on. Through the hardship, you will continue. Another hardship will come, and you will still continue. Do you know why? Because God is with you. Because you are in God's school. God has everything in his arms, and he will help you. He'll strengthen you, and he will allow you to not just deal with hard times, you know, get through somehow, but to get through with the correct, joyful perspective. God's doing something in my life. He has a plan for my life. I need to learn something from this. I am better after this, and I'm moving forward in God's school. This exam is done. Next exam might be harder, but God's grace is with me. So everything is under control. Amen? Amen. So another resolution is 56. Never to give in, or never to give over, to the least to slacken my fight with corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. 
So he basically says in Resolution 56, I have corruptions or sins, problems. And I am never going to stop my fight against them. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now awaits me the crown of glory. Of all the things that Apostle Paul did, this is Apostle Paul speaking, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Of all the things that Apostle Paul did, this is what he says in one of his last letters, or arguably the last letter. I have fought the good fight at the end of it. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now awaits me the crown of glory. And you have to say, hold up, Paul. That's not the only thing you did. You know what else you did? You literally started the Gentile church of whom we are part of. He like, most of the churches, if not all, he either encouraged, built up, or literally founded by himself with like, with a team. You, you started like many denominations. All the denominations that are non-Jewish that are today come mostly, most of them come from Paul's teaching or admonition. Uh, you also wrote about half the New Testament. That, that's a pretty big thing. Like, that's another thing to put down in your like resume as your, your legacy, as you're writing your last letter and your last words. Like, you know, I wrote half the Bible and I, I started most of the churches that are around today. I also traveled most of the world and I like got beaten a bunch of times, got convicted and I'm dying for Jesus right now too. So that's, that's like a pretty big thing. You know what Paul does? He says, his, his focus is so, uh, so crystal clear at the end of his life. He's, he's looking right at the thing that really matters. And what is he looking at? His ability to stay consistent. And he goes, by the grace of God, I have been able to stay consistent in my life. Consistent with God's calling in my life. Consistent to God's plan in my life. Consistent with God's grace in my life. I've been able to do what God has called me to do and to do it well. He says, I have fought the good fight. Doesn't talk about winning anything. She says, I fought it. Like, I did my part. I stood my ground. I battled, you know, my section of of this battle line. I kept. I kept it. You're not going to talk about all the conquests you did? That doesn't matter. He, he, he did his part. He, he fought the good fight. He did what he had to do. Such a almost passive way of looking at this. I have finished the course. Not, not I have won the race. I have finished the course. Like I made it across the finish line. Really? So you don't care if you're like number 50 or number 1,900? I finished the course. Because when it comes to Christianity, it's important for us to understand we're young and we're, we, we got energy. But listen, we're not always going to have the energy. We're young and we have time. But listen, we're not always going to have the time. And in our world today, when there are like a million and one things that are trying to grab our attention, it's important to stay consistent. If you can stay consistent to God's calling in your life, if you can stay consistent to God's grace in your life, that freedom that God has given you, if you could stay consistent in that, oh, God can use that. If you could stay consistent in reading the word of God every single day, if, you could st- if we could stay consistent in spending quality time with God every single day, consistent. I'm not, I'm not, we're, not, we're not talking about doing something fancy, doing this. Or, no, 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 no. Just, just do it. Just do it consistent for 50 years. Oh, God can use that. Oh, God can use that. If you can stay consistent in your ministry, if, 
Imagine this, if you could stay consistent in your church, so God has given you something and you're like, I am going to do this to the best of my ability. I'm not special, I'm an average Joe. I'm just gonna do this as best as I can. And if you can stay consistent, if we can stay consistent in that for the next 50 years, God can use that. And God will use that. That, looking at the life of, of literally everyone, that I, that I look up to in my life. And some of these people, most of these people I've never met. And I hope to meet them before they die because literally these guys are like dying one by one. Uh, for, they're older, but they're dying one by one from cancer, from other things. So uh, I, was, I used to be kind of anti-conference. Now I'm like, I need to get out there and see these guys because David Wilkerson passed away, Billy Graham passed away, everyone's passing away, and I've, I've never been able to talk to them yet. But what, the one thing that gets me in these people is not like they're, they're, um, the, the, you know, they're super like flamboyant. They don't drive something fancy. They don't live somewhere fancy. They don't make a ton of money. They don't, they don't have like a better voice than someone. They're not better able to communicate. They're not the best leaders. And people around them will say, yeah, they're not the best leaders and they're not the best preachers. We don't really know what it is, but you know what it is? If you, and I like find these, I love finding these like little videos or podcasts where these guys are talking on a very like low-key level with like a friend and they kind of and they begin to share what they do like in the morning or what their what their what their habits are and um, those things are gold when you listen to what they do it is so systematic it's so consistent it is so boring every single day you wake up at five in the morning you eat like they literally some of these guys will eat the same thing but they do it for one reason they do it for one reason like i want to be as consistent as i possibly i don't want anything i don't want to think about food when i'm supposed to be thinking about the bible i want everything to just be in the right place not more not less and they'll do like you know two hours of bible study in the morning like an hour and a half of prayer and then do church meetings and then continue on with their day and it's every single day like that but when you look at that overall on the big picture god is taking that consistency god is taking that vessel that is pure that is ready to be used not just on monday not just once a month but every single day there's the same uh, andre the same andre who has done the same bible reading the same praying the same seeking in the face of god and is asking god to use him in the same way god's like well th- this is a pretty dependable person why why don't we use him right why don't why, why wouldn't God use us if we stay consistent? And that, my friends, is something that I feel like um, that uh, if we could grasp, if we could get it, if God, by his grace, can allow us to have this, God can do so much with us. And God will, listen, brothers and sisters, God will do so much with your life, with my life and with your life. Sister and brother, sister and brother, God will do so much in your life. Just stay consistent. Stay consistent in in fellowship with him. Stay consistent in reading your word. Stay consistent in surrounding yourself with other believers. Don't, don't play this game of surrounding yourself with believers on a Tuesday evening, on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday evening, and then surrounding yourself with other friends on, on other times. That is not consistency. That is, that is what's shaking the boat. That is what's breaking God, uh, your ability to be used of God every single day or just effectively once a week or whatever you know, you're called to do. Stay consistent consistently in God's grace, allowing God to always uh, 
have the chance to use you. And I promise you, God will use you. I promise you, God will use you. So resolution 56, never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruption, however unsuccessful I might be. We have to acknowledge the fact that we're not the strongest. Actually, I'm not strong at all. Like, I am not strong at all. I'll just say that. But by the grace of God, and this is available to you and to me, by the grace of God, God gives us the strength to stay consistent. God will give you the desire. Just pray to him, call out to him. We'll give you the desire to read, to pray, to go to church. And not just that, not just that, to stay consistent in your studies. Yeah, in school. To be a successful dentist, a a successful lawyer, a successful engineer, a a successful school teacher, a successful professor. God gives you the ability to stay consistent. So allow him to use you at your workplace as you're consistently putting in high quality work to stay consistent and see what God will do in your life. Resolution 28. We're going to be finishing here soon. Resolved to study the scriptures, and I'll just touch on this just because we're running out of time to study the scriptures so, so steadily. Listen to this resolution about reading the Bible. Study the scriptures so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I might find, may find and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. I underlined the word plainly for a specific reason. This was something for myself, and I just want to share it with you. When you read the Bible, do you feel yourself growing? Do you, so when, when you read the Bible in the morning, evening, wherever, do you extract anything from it? Do, you, do, you, do we take anything from it? So if I'm reading my Bible and I read it to put a check mark, something is wrong because the, the point of reading the Bible isn't to put up a check mark. It's not to complete your daily or your yearly Bible reading plan. That, I mean, it's a good, that's a good way to like look at it. Like, you know, I'll be reading my Bible four chapters a day for a year. I'll be able to read all 66 books. That's great. But the reason, the reason we're doing that isn't to complete the Bible plan. Is that right? We're not doing it to like impress our parents or impress our friends or impress, you know, the the pastors. That's not what we're doing. We're doing it because we understand that the Bible has life and we need that life. Is that not right? We, so the Bible has answers and we have questions. The Bible has healing and we have sickness. The Bible has uh, truth and we have lies. That, I mean, we're just surrounded by lies. We're, we're sickly. We're, we're human. We have problems. And God's grace, by God's grace, we have been given the word of God that is able to give us everything we lack and more. Everything we lack and more. All wisdom. Like, you're struggling in school. Like, how do I act in this situation? Or at work. Like, this is such a moral dilemma. God, in his word, has the answer. I promise you. But if you're not extracting, if you're not reading for the sake of like taking information from it, saying, how does this chapter about David running away from Saul apply to my life today? Well, then we're just doing a a Bible reading plan. You know what I mean? We're just kind of checking off the boxes. And I mean, it's great. It looks good, but it doesn't really help us grow. And so... Uh, what we read uh, Jonathan Edwards say is, I will study the scriptures so steadily. Again, man, these like ugly words, constantly, steadily, frequently. Like it, it almost sounds like he's, he's like, he's, he's making it into a system. Well, it, it, it kind of is. But he says, so that I can plainly perceive myself to grow. I can plainly see that I've just read this chapter and I became one 
word or one truth of God smarter than I was before I read that chapter. I just read this verse and I became one sermon richer. I just read this word, literally, sometimes it's just one word, and I just figured out what I'm supposed to do in my life. And sometimes, I'm not saying every time God will just explode your mind with revelation, but sometimes it's those subtle truths that kind of get stacked in the back of your heart. And when hardships come, when, when you're in a storm of some sort, these truths begin to show themselves. And you're like, why am I so calm? Or how did I know how to do this? Well, it's the word of God that you have been reading systematically, consistently, growing, asking God, help me, and God helps us. Resolution 37. Inquire every night as I'm going to bed wherein I have been negligent, what sin I have committed, and wherein I have denied myself, also at the end of every week, month, and year. Now, I will be honest with you. I have not been able to understand this resolution fully. As in, like, why, why do it before you go to sleep? It's almost like, I mean, like, you're saved by, by God's grace. Don't, like, you are saved by God's grace. God's blood has covered you, has washed you, has made you whole. So maybe we're a little bit different in theology. But, but the truth remains the same, that there are, there are people, um, and we as people, I as a person, am very, and find myself very easily... Um, drawn to changes in my in this pure and simple religion and in, in true Christianity, just because the world is constantly telling me some other kind of information. So when I know this is a sin, and I, I'm, I'm like, this is a sin, whatever it is, like homosexuality is a sin. But when the world constantly and homosexuality, there's a million examples, constantly just pushes a certain agenda, and it's always the same, and it's always the opposite. We as humans, especially as believers, tend to just be able to absorb that. We, can't, we don't deflect all of it, absorb some of it, and it changes us. It, it very subtly changes us. And when, when you begin, it's good to talk to other believers. That this is why, because sometimes when you talk to someone else, these things can kind of float up, and another believer could be like, hold on, hold on. Like, do you really believe that? And you're like, you begin to second-guess yourself, and that's a good thing because you, you get straightened out. That's why it's good to come to church, and it's good to have good Christian fellowship. But there there's something about compromise, something about sin that is, it so easily gets us because we are humans. And the word of God, it tells us, and, and I'll just share this real quick. Second uh, Samuel 15, 3, 4. It basically talks about, I'm not going to read it. It talks about a, a story of Absalom. And Absalom was basically a David's son who uh, was good looking, very smart, knew how to talk. And he was basically telling people like, hey, if you choose me as king instead of my King, my father David, I will be a better king. And this is what he says. I will do, uh, if you would appoint me judge of this land, every man who has a suitor cause could come to me and I would give him justice. Meaning there were some people that were coming to David and walking away from David because they didn't get what they want. You know why? Maybe because the things they were asking for weren't just. Maybe the things they were lobbying for. You guys know what lobbyists are? The th lobbyists are people who basically like come to senators and congressmen and, and there used to be like, uh, let's say a cigarette company will pay a billion dollars to like super good talking, good looking guys. They'll go to senators and be like, dude, cigarettes are the best thing on earth. And they'll just, they'll, they'll go take him out to expensive restaurants, take him out to yachts and just talk to these guys like, hey, we should be pumping more oil. This is why it's better for a country. And uh, 
these senators, these congressmen can then push out certain laws that help those things make more money, like help people buy more cigarettes or lower down the age for buying cigarettes so that more people could smoke at an early age. We're not going to get into that. But basically, that was the same during the time of Israel. People in Israel would come to David, all kinds of people, and be like, we want to do this in the land. We want to worship maybe a little idol. We want to, you know, not follow this commandment of God because it's kind of weird. Like, why do we have to rest every seventh day? Why can't we rest every sixth day, right? And they would be like, no, the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says every seventh day. No, we're not going to set up an idol. Get out of my face. That's kind of how he would talk about these things. And I I have scriptures. I'm not going to read them. But if you read Psalms, he talks a lot about that. He says, he literally says, get out of my face in old language. He says, he says to God, I said these things to these rich people because they were lobbying. They were asking me to do unrighteous things. And yet I made, made enemies. Yeah, they revolted against me. Yeah, they went after Absalom. Did you ever think why people went after Absalom if David was such a good king? He was a good king. He was a good general. One like every battle he fought or Joab did with him. Why did people revolt? Well, there was people in Israel that didn't like the fact that David didn't compromise with sin. They didn't like the fact that David was so narrow-minded. He just didn't go to the left or to the right. He was boring. He was just so conservative. He never liked to really step out of the boundaries that were set up. You guys, you guys get what I'm saying, right? Like, he was just, he was just so into the Bible. And it was just weird. Like we have a country to run here and this David is reading the Bible and doing everything according to the Bible. Like this is, come on, David. Like we're in, we're in the, we're like in 2000 or whatever he lived, BC. Uh, like, you know, we're, 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 we're supposed to be ahead of these Philistines and Moabs. And how can we be ahead of them if we're so old school? David's like, well, I'm going to be old school, but I'm not going against the law of God. And they rebelled against him. Now, the end story is that David got the kingdom back. Absalom died. God punished those who rose up against David. But that goes to say that standing up and not compromising with sin isn't always easy. It's not always the easiest answer, but it's always the best. Always the best. And Resolution 37 says every single night when he was going to bed, he would check, did I compromise anywhere? Did I sin? He would do this every month and every year. And God used him. God will use you if you do the same. And finally, resolution 52. And I talk, I think about this too. He says, I frequently hear people of old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. You ever think about that? Having regrets at the end of your life. It's good to think about it now so that you wouldn't have the regrets at the end of your life, right? Better regret like for a month of decisions than for a lifetime. He says, resolved, I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done. Basically says, I make a decision that I will live now as I would wish I had lived if I'm like 50 or whatever. He died at 52. Supposing I live to an old age. And he did just that. Imagine making decisions, not on the basis of what I feel I need right now, I feel like I really want this thing, but living on, on, on on this basis. As I'm going to meet my creator, I'm laying on my deathbed. And I always like to think, laying on my deathbed, would I be embarrassed? Knowing that literally it's like this and you're before God. So right now you're in the room, you're hopefully your family and everyone's around you, but like this and you're before God. What am I thinking then? God, give me grace. What am I thinking then? Am I happy? 
Am I like Apostle Paul where you've done all these things, but you're like, <laughs> I was able to stay consistent with the grace of God. I was able to do God's will in my life and I'm ready to meet my creator. Or is it gonna be a, a freaking out moment? I know for us, this is God's plan that you live today, tomorrow, after tomorrow. You can't change what you did yesterday, but you can live today, literally go home and live today, literally go home and throw away things from your computer today, delete things right now on your phone, today, tomorrow, if you can't do it today. Literally throw away those magazines, literally stop hanging around with those friends. Do these things practically, do these things today so that you may stay consistent with God's wonderful gift to you, his gift of salvation, and so that you would have no regrets, you would have no worries. If you die at an old age or if you die tomorrow, no regrets that you have done everything that God has wanted you to do. Let's, let's stand, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this grace. My God, we thank you that you have done everything for us. Yes, Lord. You have given us everything that we need for life and for godliness, my God. You have, you have blessed us, my God. You have blessed us. Lord, you have put in us in Christian families. You have put us uh, in Christian homes. You have gathered us here uh, in this service. My God, and you have given us your gift of salvation. You have given us your Holy Spirit. You have gifted us with your word, the Bible. My God, you have given us this time of freedom. Everything we need for life and for godliness is before us. Where we ask in the name and blood of Jesus Christ that you strengthen, my God, the young people of Slavic Christian Center in the name and blood of Jesus Christ. My God, I proclaim your protection. I proclaim your grace. I proclaim your victory. I proclaim your healing. I proclaim your restoration. I proclaim your freedom in the name and blood of Jesus Christ upon every single person that is in this place and every single person that couldn't make it or didn't want to make it. In Jesus' name, my God, we will be a victory, a victorious youth. We will be a youth that is resolved to live a life of purity, of holiness, of righteousness, and of grace, of freedom, of truth, of joy, of love in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, with the gifts of peace, my God. I ask in Jesus' name, and give us this grace, my God, and give us this mercy, my God. We by ourselves are so weak, my God. We are so unable to do any of these things, but my God, the life of Jonathan Edwards, if it shows one thing, it shows this, that God is able to take ordinary men, men who are sickly, men who, who don't have anything special about them, and give them such grace, give them such strength to be consistent in your word, be consistent in prayer, be consistent in fellowship with believers, be consistent in ministry, and be consistent in schooling, be consistent uh, in a light in, a, in our jobs, my God, and in this way, you will bless and use these women and men of God. We ask, my God, please give us the same grace and give us the same mercy and give us the same kindness. My God, we can do nothing of ourselves and we are simply asking God, please, we need your help. We need your strength. We ask, my God, in Jesus' name and by the words of Jonathan Edward, my God, when he was writing these re resolutions, um, he wrote this line that, that uh, explained everything. It explained that these resolutions are not to be done uh, by our own strength. They're impossible to do by our own strength. Even one of them, even just being consistent, is impossible to, to, to do with our own strength. But he said the following words, and we want to 
also understand that these, uh, this theology is important in our lives as we try to live holy lives. He said, being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. We are unable, unable to do any of them, but we ask God, give us help, give us strength, please. And may your name be glorified and praised as we live our life of victory, being a light to this world in every single place that we go. We ask, bless the gathering that we're gonna have after and bless every single young soul that is in this place today. Every single soul that came here, my God, would you bless it with your freedom, with your grace, with your strength. We ask in the name and blood of Jesus Christ, we will be a youth that is victorious for Jesus Christ by the grace of God and for the glory of God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.